Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Great to be with you, Crosspoint family. Interesting thing here, you in five years... Crosspoint isn't the same it was five years ago, is it? You're, you're in some ways the same, some of the same people, and yet your journey has continued. You're now uh, meeting in this beautiful facility, and others have joined the journey to what God's doing. And we're going to tackle uh, my segment that I've been asked to do here for this week in this series of You in Five Years. And we're, I think we're going to have an interesting time. I'm not the same guy I was five years ago. Are you the same person you were five years ago? No. And by God's grace, I think we can say, I'm not going to be the same person I am five years from now than I am now. This is the disciple-making journey. And in the Alliance family of churches, we're pretty passionate about helping people move along in their discipleship journey, making disciples that make disciples in partnership with the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and getting on the mission that the Father has for this world. So we're going to dive into that before we do. Let's, let's dive into prayer and, and invite Jesus to do what only he can do. So Lord Jesus, in this morning, by your Spirit, as we open your Word, we give you access to the deeper places in our heart where real life change takes place, the inside of the cup, not just the outside of the cup. And would you speak to us? We give you invitation, Holy Spirit, by your Word, and through your voice to speak to us, that we might encounter Jesus and experience all that he has for us here, even this day. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So you're in this series, You in Five Years. It's really a great title, a great way to launch into not just a, a new year, but a new decade in 2020. I want to ask this question, or pose it like this, the you you've never met. I want to talk about that. My central idea is that there is the real version of you that is out there, and probably for most of us in this room, maybe even all of us, to varying degrees, you've never met the real you, the real you that God sees. And so let's go there. In Genesis chapter 3, we see some version of this, of the real you and the false you, and many of us are familiar with this story. Genesis 1 and 2, God created everything, everything is good. And then the, the evil one, the tempter, he comes along and he tempts Adam and Eve. And then after they eat the fruit, you know, it doesn't say, it doesn't say it's an apple. And some people criticize apple products because there's that, that bite out of the apple. And then they make an argument for Samsung to be God's preferred technology. That's not true. It is Apple that's God's preferred technology. <laughs> Anyways, I'm really off my script. So Genesis 3, verse 7. So they ate it. They ate the fruit. And then it says in verse 7, the eyes of both of them were open. They realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Full stop. Already we see their true self that was good start to be covered their false self, their pretend self, is emerging. And then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees. 
Where are you? God said. I heard you were in the garden, but I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And here we see, you could frame it as this. They are hiding from God. They're hiding from one another. And in their hiding, they're living out a false version of themselves. The you you've never met. Is it possible that you or I, to great degrees or slight degrees, are still in hiding? And perhaps we haven't come to discover the person that we are meant to be. I could ask this question. What story is your life telling? Our lives, all of our lives, are telling a story. If you had a a screenwriter or a, a movie director following you around, taking notes and recording the things that, you would co- that would come out of your mouth, the behavior that you're engaged in, your priorities, your choices, the things that you do, the things that were done to you, what kind of story would that be? Would it be a comedy, tragedy, a horror, a drama? And what would be the high points? What would be the anticlimaxes? Who would be the heroes? Who would be the villains? See, without even intending, all of our lives tell a story. My story, up until about five years ago, could have been characterized as a story marked by perceived rejection and shame. It was the lens through which I viewed my life. It was the false narrative that I would share. I was uh, born at a very young age, and then shortly, some of you can and then very shortly after, uh, given up for adoption, born in Saskatoon, and then adopted into a good Mennonite dysfunctional family, like there are any other kinds. And the same goes for the rest of you who are non-Mennonite. Every family has goodness, and every family has a few things that maybe could be improved upon. I was, in today's uh, language, I was behaviorally challenged. I was not an easy child to parent up until, you know, five, six, seven, and I was not an easy kid to be around with peers. And as a result, I was picked on a lot. And this became something of the journey of my life. And these experiences became lenses that sat in front of my eyes and began to view all of my life through the kind of narrative that says, I'm the rejected one. I'm the illegitimate one. I'm the one that shouldn't exist. What story is your life telling? I took this script into my vocation, minister. I took it into my marriage. And up until about five years ago, the fuel of the story of the life that I was living was far too significantly burning the fuel of, I need to prove myself. I need to prove that I'm legitimate, that I'm okay. And even some of my so-called successes have been too often driven out of the false dug that would say, you've got to prove yourself. What story is your life telling, even if you're not cognizant of it all the time? You see, the story that our life tells can tell the story of our true self, who you really are, no coverings, no fig leaves, or our true self, how God really does see us. We all tell a story. Leonard Ravenhill, an author from the 1950s, put it this way. He says, there are three persons living in each of us. The one we think we are, the one other people think we are, and the one God knows we are. How are you doing on that one? 
Whose life are you living? A false life? The person that you really wish you were? The false life? Maybe you're living the life that other people expect you to live? Or your true self? The life that God already has for you? The former two versions of those are incredibly exhausting. If you've lived far enough into your false self, it's very difficult keeping that house of cards up. Very challenging experience. And the true self, well, that's where Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for I'm gentle. I'm humble. We see this in the person of Peter, don't we? The, the, the disciple, later the apostle Peter. You can see this as a case study where earlier in Peter's exchange in journey with Christ, he was living his false self. Think about it. Who was the first one to jump out of the boat? It was Peter. And then he sank. Now some people could say, oh, he's demonstrating great faith. Yeah, but if you look at all of Peter's life, he's always trying to be that guy. He wants to be the first one. And he says to Jesus on the night that he's betrayed, I'm not going to deny you. Everyone else can leave you. But I will, I will stay with you till death. And then before the sun rises the next day, he has denied him. The false self crumbles under the appropriate pressure. And it's exhausting. And then to kind of bring Peter's story full circle, many of you will recall after Christ's resurrection, Jesus meets Peter on the beach. And what does he say? Three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And it seems kind of harsh in some ways because Peter is hearing from the words of Jesus three challenges to his assertions, I'll never deny you. And what's happening, I would believe, with Peter is his false self is dying in that moment so that his true self can live. Broken of its facade, broken of the artificiality, and live in his true self. I wonder who the you is that you've never met. Well, to get there, we have to understand that what we agree to, we give power to. The things that we agree with in this, on this side of the grave have incredible consequences for all eternity. And Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this. Because it says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is an astonishing passage because it speaks to the power of the spoken or the agreed word. God said in Genesis 1-2, let us make mankind in our image. So what does it mean to be made in the image of God? I, I don't claim to even begin to understand that in its totality. But one of the ways it is true is that we have the power of word, and so does God. Think about it. The spoken word is the most powerful force in the created realm. God said, he spoke, let there be light. What happened immediately after? There's light. Let there be animals. Let there be plants, all these things. What happened immediately after he speaks? It becomes. They're transformed from word. It's transformed from word into reality. Out of nothing, the Latin word is ex nihilo. Out of nothing, God speaks. Now, we, we cannot create out of nothing. 
but what we agree to creates realities. The Bible says it right here in Romans 10, 9, and 10. Psychologists agree with this too. It's science. If it's, if it's true, if it's science, it's God's truth because he created all truth. And so the, the psychological community understands that if somebody agrees with the lie that I am unlovable, they will create that reality for themselves. It will self-realize in their behavior. They will keep themselves distant from others because they are convinced of this false self. What have you agreed to? You might agree to things that are positive. You might agree to things that are negative. It was a few years ago I was speaking in a place in central Alberta, and uh, I was speaking on the God who speaks. God is a revelatory being. Uh, Jesus describes himself in John 10 as the good shepherd uh, from whom his sheep can hear. In that John 10 passage, Jesus goes around and around saying, the sheep follow me because they hear his, the shepherd's voice. And so I had taught on this, and a, a man in his 30s came up to me afterwards, literally with tears in his eyes, saying, can you pray for me? I said, sure, what can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? He said, I can't hear God speak. And I, I knew him. I knew he was a believer. So automatically, I'm doing the math. He's believing a lie. Because the Bible says the sheep, the children of God, get to hear the voice of the shepherd. It's right there in, in plain black and white or red and white if your Bible is a red letter edition. Anyways, so I said to him, okay, the, um, we, we can deal with this now. And I had him agree with truth. I said, I kind of had my finger pointing in his chest. Now, do you believe that you are a sheep? As the Bible says, yes, I'm, I'm a sheep. Do you believe that Jesus is a shepherd? Yes. Do you believe that when the Bible says, the sheep get to hear the voice of the shepherd? Yes. I said, then close your eyes. And he closed his eyes. And all I said was, Jesus, speak to your sheep. And the best way I can describe what happened was, Elvis left the building. He, he, he was no longer present to me. His eyes were just closed, and there were different emotions washing over his face. I don't know how long it was. It might have been a minute or two. But when he opened his eyes, I asked him, what did he say to you? And out of his mouth came a whole line of revelation from the voice of Jesus. If memory serves me, it was something like this. Don't ever doubt that I am with you. You are my child. I've given you the ability to hear, you, hear me. We have much to talk about. I have much. To, and now he's crying tears of joy. What we agree to creates realities around us. And he was living out of his false self. I'm the Christian who can't hear God. And it was a false sense of being. And Jesus wanted to introduce him to the him he had not met yet, which was one who could hear the voice of Jesus. Back to, to Genesis, the first temptation was the suggestion, the lie, that God was not truly good. Did God really say? I mean, think about it. Satan, the serpent, the enemy. What power did he have in the garden with Adam and Eve? Well, he had no power other than the power of suggestion. That's it. We make way too much of him. In the face of Jesus, he is utterly powerless, and we, he only has power over us to that which we give him. The second temptation 
was to pursue an identity, a false self apart from God. Do this and you will become like God, which is a ridiculous statement because they already were like God. Let us make humanity in our image. And so really sin becomes little more than the attempt to find that which is good apart from our true self that is revealed by God. You could classify sin as that. I like how David Benner puts it, who's a Canadian uh, Christian and psychologist. He says this in his great book, The Gift of Being Yourself, the self that God persistently loves is not my prettied up pretend self, but my actual self, the real me. But master of delusion that I am, I have trouble penetrating my web of self-deceptions and knowing this real me. I continually confuse it with some ideal self that I wish I were. If you are a follower of Jesus, and some of you may not be, and we can help you towards him, be delighted to. But if you are a follower of Jesus, in this day and age, in this part of the world, you may experience the challenge of going to worship with the real you. For some reason, in the, in the waters of our culture, we always want to present ourselves maybe better than we are, uh, our best foot forward. And then on the Sunday morning, you may be here being led by a, a great, skilled, godly worship team, and your heart or your head may say, I want to connect with Jesus. I want to experience him. I want to see him. But your heart may be still trapped in its false pretend self. It's hard to connect with God when our heart's pretending or believing lies that we're not yet keenly aware of. So how do you diagnose this false self? Well, one question you could ask is, what is the script that plays in your mind? What's the script? I used to say, what's the tape that plays in your mind? But I'm getting a little bit older, and not everyone can remember cassette tapes or eight tracks. Weren't those the good old days, eight tracks? Any, any hands? I see that hand. There's one here. What's the script that plays in your mind? When you feel insecure, when you feel fearful, when you feel nervous, what's the script that plays? Is it, I'm insecure, but my Father loves me, and I can walk with Him? Or is it, I'm insecure, I'm no good, I'm a failure, I'm a fraud? What's your script? What's your script? God created you to have a pure script, one that has no needless baggage in your mind, one that um, is the yoke of Jesus, it's easy, it's light, even in the context of difficulty and suffering. So that's one thing you could do. What's, what's the script in your mind? What's underneath your negative or sinful behavior? You see, when you sin, um, one-offs or perpetual sin, you realize that's just symptomatic, don't you? Like Jesus came to clean the cup. Not the dirt on the outside of the cup. That's, that's our sin. And I'm not making less of sin than it is. But our sinfulness, mine and yours, it's merely symptomatic of something that's underneath. And Jesus loves us so much. He loves you so much. If he wants 
to go down there into the deep places? What's underneath your reactions, your emotional responses or non-responses? Have you ever asked him, where does that come from? Where did those opinions get formed? Where do those reactions get formed? You might ask the question, where do these lies, these false identities come from? Well, this list that I have here before you, it's, it's not meant to be a, a, an exhaustive list or a prescriptive list. It's just a smattering of things that might impact, might form a false identity, a false self. I'll give you an example. So for me, you could imagine an adoptee, and I'm not putting this on all adoptees. There's probably a few here in the room. There's always some really special people in the room. Um, but I, I carried that, that wound of I am rejected, and then I got picked on because I was behaviorally challenged. And then later on in my life, I'm probably in about grade five now, elementary school age, uh, you know, for about a period of 10 years, my mother, my adoptive mother, taught 40 piano students every week. Now that takes a lot of time. So it was from about 3 p.m. after school till 8 or 8.30 at night, five days a week. That's what mom was doing. So who, who took care of the house? It was one of my older sisters, uh, 11, or sorry, six years older than me. She was my hero. I was, uh, in, when I was in elementary school, I'd get dressed and I'd walk into Joanne's room. I go, what do you think? She go, no, you know, go try again or whatever. And then when I'd come home after school, she would be there to greet me and ask me how my day was and she'd be cooking. She would cook the meals five days a week and I would talk with her. She was my, my mother figure. I have one distinct memory of when I was in grade five and uh, there were a bunch of adults in a circle. I was there too as this little kid. And they were talking about music. And somebody wanted to include me in the conversation. And I'm standing next to my sister, taller sister. Now she's shorter. And someone asked me, well, Doug, what kind of music do you like? And I looked up to Joanne and I said, what kind of music do I like? It's like whatever she says, that's going to be my favorite. My first day of grade seven, right after her 18th birthday, she had a fight with my mom and dad. She ran away from home. I did not hear or see her for six months. The central adult figure in my life disappeared like that. And suddenly the wound of adoption, the wound, or I mean, not adoption wasn't the wound, given up for adoption was a wound. The wound of being picked on as a kid, just started to compound. And the false identity that Doug started to say in his mind was, I'm not safe anywhere. I can't trust anybody. I have got to fend for myself. And people better stay the hell away from my emotions. And anger started to be my primary emotion. My false self. My pretend self. Sometimes it's the perception of experience that can form the false identity, like that man who said, I can't hear God speak. And his false reality became the reality for him. Some of you have had horrible words spoken over you. You're no good. You won't amount to anything. Why can't you be more like? And it becomes the false self that we live towards. Our culture speaks lies to us. It attempts to define what beauty is, what success is, what significance is, what contentment is. 
we can find ourselves living up to that. Churches can introduce lies. Churches that have uh, a really defined set of behaviors that people must subscribe to in order to be loved by God or others. That's, that's just dark religiosity. And that's a yoke that some people grow up in, in in churches. So it's good to ask, where do these come from in our lives? It will be different for all of us. And we all have a false self. The question, well, there's probably two questions. To what extent are you aware of what your false self is? The pretend self. And secondly, to what extent do you live out of it rather than the you that maybe you've met, but for some of us, the you that you've never really met? So we all have this false self. And let me, let me be pretty candid with you. Um, you might ask the question, how deep can this false self run? Well, here's the deal. Here's the diagnosis of you and of me. You are way more screwed up than you know. Just let that hang for a minute. You know, you really are. These things go way deeper than we typically realize. That's the one thing. Here's the second thing. The real you that Jesus already sees, oh, you're way better than you could imagine. He's already created you to be good. There's some stuff that needs to be redeemed through the cross. He's already purchased the price for that. But you're way better than you know. Some of you haven't met that person. Maybe in the next five years, you can meet the you that God has created for you. Here's the thing about the false self. It's not real. You know that, don't you? It's not real. It's pretend. It's an illusion. It's an illusion in your mind. And I never thought I would ever say a sentence, speak a sentence, where the first four words are, God does not love. But here it is. God does not love your false self. You know that pretend being that you're trying to prop yourself up with? God does not love that version of you. How can I say that? Because that version of you doesn't exist. It's a figment in your imagination. And so here's, here's the dynamic when people are pursuing a greater experience with Christ. If we are not letting him transform us from our false view to our true view like he did Peter, we pursue Jesus out of our false self with false motivations and God loves you enough, he will not be the primary enabler of that which is destructive to your soul. So he's waiting for you to surrender layer by layer the falseness of what we believe so that you can experience the depth of his love and his presence in your life. And that's probably a lifelong journey. But he lets us take some big leaps forward from time to time to put some things to death. Lies that are believed create a false sense of self and reality. So I've shared with you some of the layers of the false self that occurred in my life. So by the time I'm an adolescent, I'm, I'm getting actually pretty messed up in my thinking of myself. I get married, I take this into my marriage. And so, you know, we like to think we've always had a pretty decent marriage, and we do. But this was a significant inhibitor to intimacy. Because I had this view of, of my life. Then we have our, our first child, and, and she dies due to heart, uh, congenital heart defects. And the loss of a child then becomes another layer to the mask. And my life story starts to perpetuate 
the false self. It's a false reality. Terry would do things that are overtly expressions of love, and my false self was able to interpret them as rejection. That's how deep this can go. First step is awareness. These lies believed can create a false reality. We were, um, we were speaking with a bunch of uh, Christian and Missionary Alliance uh, missionaries. So missionaries are a middle name. We have about 200 workers all across the world, and most of them are redeployed to uh, the least reached places, North Africa, um, places in Central Asia, etc. And so we were speaking with the group. There are probably about 50 people. Most of them were from uh, North Africa, Muslim world. And during this event, in between our speaking sessions, every family unit would have a chance to share what's going on. And at the end of this, Terry and I said to the leaders, do you realize that it appears to us, humbly speaking, that just about your entire mission field has agreed with a lie? Goes, what, do, what do you mean? I said, well, we, we've, heard, we've heard people agree with a lie just about every time they've shared. He's like, what, what lie have they, have they stated? I said, they've all said, this is very hard ground where we serve, like spiritually seeking speaking. This is very hard ground. And I don't know what his, was in his mind, but I, sometimes I wonder if he was thinking, you snivelly little guy from Alberta where it's the Bible Belt, you're telling us we shouldn't believe it's hard ground out here? He didn't say that, so I don't know that he thought that. But I said, let me explain. They're saying the ground is really hard here, and that will self-perpetuate into an approach to ministry of, it's really hard here. He was, what, what, what should they be saying? Just switch it a little bit. It's really hard ground here, but not so hard that God can't break through. People are really resistant to the gospel. Oh, but Jesus is excellent at breaking down barriers. It's just a little switch. And the enemy in his lying to us, he does not often give us initially grandiose lies. He takes some version of the truth and distorts the perspective. And from that, he can build a whole mountain of lies. But your true self, oh, like I said, your true self, way better than you know. You want to meet this person. For some of you who are in marriages where um, perhaps the, some of the fire of the marriage is gone, for some of you, your spouse has married a version of your true self that's just become a little bit faded. And they want to see that true self. I like how Paul puts it in Colossians 3.3. 3, For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. And we can draw a few things out of this passage. One, your true self already exists. Doesn't need to be created. Doesn't need to be invented. For some of us, needs to be discovered. And part of the way to discovering your true life that is eternally hidden with Christ and God is to die to the old ways of thinking. Die to the lies that perhaps somehow or other, maybe, maybe because of things that were done to you beyond your control, the lies need to come down. How do we deal with the false self? Well, we identify the lies. What are your fig leaves? What are your fig leaves? The idea of fig leaves, Genesis 3, so Adam and Eve are hiding. They create fig leaves to cover their shame. 
Interesting thing about the heart of God here. He understands shame. He understands the road back from shame can be a journey. So what did God do in Genesis 3? He sewed animal skins for them, which is potentially of the earliest allusions of the future work of Christ, where blood had to be spilt, animal skins, to cover our shame. On a much lighter note, Carrie, who's with me, my wife, she likes to say this is the first fashion statement in the Bible and that God is pro-fashion because he was the one that created the first clothing in this story. Just dealing with the false self and discovering the true self is less about self-assessment and it's more about interacting with Holy Spirit. Spirit of Jesus, what's underneath some of these things in my life? Not the symptoms. What's underneath? If things are going off in the dashboard of your life, in your car, if you have a dashboard light go on, a warning light, you don't take apart the dashboard to take the light out so the light goes out. We do that in the church. It's called behavioral management. Or we can go underneath and ask Jesus to give us wisdom. Where did this lie begin? Where did it come from? And invite him into those places. Often our false self shows up in performance, overly compensating for insecurities. And some of the most seemingly proud people are indeed the most insecure people. I don't like to name names, but you might imagine a, a G7 global leader of a large nation who has a very strong military, etc., that is quite grandiose in his approach to matters. Let your imagination run wild there. Probably deep insecurity competates with performance. Or people-pleasing. Some people lose their, their true self because they are lost in their need to please people. Pursuit of affirmation. Or maybe in control. And underneath it, there's deep fear. Deep worry and anxiety. I like how the Word introduces us to a pathway to meeting the you you've never met. In Psalm 15, 1 and 2, the psalmist says, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. Or how Jesus puts it, and you often hear this, this phrase, even in popular culture, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. It's not what Jesus said. He said something bigger than that. He said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's about holding to his teaching in the firestorms of life. Because make no mistake, when the heat gets turned up, that's when we want to run for cover and hide in our false way of being. And some of you are in those moments right now where the heat is turned up, and you can view that negatively, or you can view this as a gift from God to put to death the old ways of thinking and to hold to what is true. You are a child of God. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. In you, as a redeemed child of God, lies the Holy Spirit who speaks to you, who reveals Christ to you, who re reminds you of truth, who directs you in your pathway, who desires to make your life prosper and be salt and light around you. This is the true you. You are loved by God. Nothing can separate you 
from the love of God. The issue of your value was settled at the cross. And this is why for 2,000 years now, regularly, churches around the world come around the cross when we celebrate the Lord's table. It's where our value comes from. If we are not feeling the love of God, and make no mistake, we are meant to feel it. Paul writes about this in Ephesians 3. He talks about the love of Christ, how high, wide, deep, and long, you know, he's got the order mixed up, is the love of Christ. He goes, I pray that you would know this love that surpasses knowledge. So he wants you and me, it's the will of God for you, to know the love of God, not just cognitively. Yes, cognitively, but not just cognitively. That it would transcend down 16 inches into our heart. But we've got to put to death the old self, the pretend self, to get there. What I'd like to do here, even as the worship team comes forward, is pray Ephesians 1, 17 through 19 over you. Um, it's up on the screen if you want to follow along here in a moment. But I want to pray this over you. But before we do, can I, can I give you the gift of just a few moments of silence? And you might close your eyes if you choose to. And you might interact with Jesus by saying, Jesus, does your spirit, would your spirit point out any ways in me that are founded falsely? Is there any way that you would want to show me where some of my behavior comes from, maybe where some of my false ways of being comes from. And Jesus, I invite you into those places, the messy places, the broken places. And I invite you, Jesus, to chart my course. I can't figure this out on my own to chart my course to discovering the me as you see me. The me that you already love. The me that you already celebrate. And in Jesus' name, I ask that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Amen. So be it. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected 
with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.